Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. Welcome. Most of you know, in 2020, Revive, along with others in the beauty and retail sectors, like Sephora with their accelerator program, we've been shining a spotlight on, and quite frankly, giving the microphone to startups in the beauty and uh, even in retail sectors, but mostly in beauty, because we think the next generation of women entrepreneurs is the key component to the growth of this industry. And today we have another one of those indie brands with us. Megan Moppin is here, the co-founder and CEO of Atola. And um, we're going to talk about the future of skincare and the impact of an AI-powered skin data technology has on the ability for entrepreneurs to actually start new companies, whatever the sector is. So, Megan, it's good to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're looking good there. Um, the, uh, I assume you're on the East Coast still working from home, but you guys have a uh, pretty... Uh, for a startup, you're probably one of the most advanced indie brands we've had on this year uh, in terms of growth and um, and definitely innovation. But maybe just to back up, uh, just tell everyone a little bit about the company. It's a little different, a little different mix of products and services that they're used to. Yeah, so we have both a, a digital and a physical product. So Atola is a subscription for custom skincare. So we create custom serum formulations based on an at-home skin test, measuring oil, moisture, pH, and combining that with someone's uh, lifestyle, environment, the other products in their routine. So the way that it works is that someone does the skin test, we create the serum, and then each month we adapt the serum to the way that their skin is changing. So it always suits their skin needs. So it's a subscription model um, that, am I going to get something every month or whenever I want? How does it work? Mm -hmm. Nice. And um, I'm always interested, uh, you know, why people start companies. So you had co-founders. You guys, I think you were all at MIT at the time. Tell us about why. Why did you do this? Yeah, so maybe I'll start with a little bit about my background. So my background is in design and specifically mass customization. So before grad school at MIT, I was working in 3D printing and um, manufacturing. When I got to grad school at MIT, it's obviously a very stressful time. Um, I started experiencing skin issues that I had never had before. So I had these new allergic reactions that would show up on my face. And so I started keeping a skin diary trying to figure out was I allergic to something I was eating, ingredients, stress, combination of all of those things, and what were the patterns. And I found it was really hard for me just as an individual to see the patterns and figure out what should I use and not use for my face. So the gears started turning, especially because of my background in customization, about how could there be a better approach beyond just me buying and throwing products away because they didn't work. Um, And so I I started talking to people about it. I met my co-founder, Sid, who was at Sloan, and he's a data scientist. And so we thought, what if we could take a data-driven approach where we could actually figure out what people should use and not use uh, based on knowing more about their skin, really quantifiable data instead of just uh, self-reporting. And then again, through MIT Connections, we met our third co-founder, who's a dermatologist. And so together, we kind of combined design, data science, and dermatology to come up with Atola. Wow, for someone who spends a lot of time kind of orchestrating teams or bringing them together, that's a great mix for a founder team. And uh, sounds like you're all getting along too. So when did you when did you actually launch? 
So we actually launched at the end of August last year, but we had been building the technology part for about two years. So um, I graduated from MIT 2018. Uh, really, it was early 2018 that our team came together and we started working on the tech side and we yep. filed our first patent. So our patent is on both the way we do skin analysis and apply it to custom formulation process. So it took us about two years of testing and iterating on the technology and the user experience. And then we launched um, at the end of August. And how's it growing? How are things um, going on the, on the scale side? Yeah, we've been we've been growing a lot, especially the last you know six months. We've been doubling both in terms of customers and revenue each month. Um, we have over four thousand active subscribers, and we just hit some pretty big um, revenue milestones where we're doing over a hundred k in sales uh, per month and, and growing very quickly. So I would say actually, you know, recent events including COVID have been really great for us because more customers are shopping online and are really resonating with the Atola value proposition where you get a custom serum that keeps getting smarter and, and fine-tuned to you through an at-home experience. Yeah, the Revive Beauty Index uh, data has been showing people in 2020 uh, their, their usage patterns are way up, their diagnostic uh, capabilities is way up. With ours, it's just taking a selfie and, and getting quick analysis on what to do. But it, many of the categories of concerns that they have are up 400%. So it sounds like, unlike other industries, the pandemic and the lockdown, quite frankly, has been really good for you guys. Plus, you're launching and you've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of fanfare going on, but a million over a million dollar run rate is uh, is fantastic for a indie brand. And um, what about funding? Are you looking for more funding, or what's going on there? Yeah, we actually uh, just closed our seed round this week. Um, super nice! Exciting. Congratulations yeah, for this next stage of growth. So um, not right now, but we're gonna raise our A. You know, probably in around a year, if not a little bit earlier. So. You might get some people reaching out to you after the podcast from this. That <laughs> typically happens. Um, so tell us about your investors. Were these um, the same people you had on before? Or? Yeah. So our pre-seed investor um, is called Brand Project. They were such a great complement to our founding team. As you called out, we're all kind of different variations of product. Mm -hmm. Brand Project invests in D2C subscription businesses. So their other companies include Freshly, Daily Harvest, uh, right. Gainful, Persona, Vitamins. Uh, so they really know the subscription space, which is such a great complement to us. Um, coming from the the product like innovation side, and then our so they they led our pre seed, they joined our seed, um, and then our other seed investor is Lyra Growth Partners. Um, they are also experts in health and wellness, so we're really excited to kind of have the right mix of people around the table, both you know our backgrounds and in, in the technology and product and dermatology side, plus investors with really strong um, consumer and subscription experience. Right. It's, um, it sounds like a complicated business, uh, mixing custom formulas. How have you kind of met that challenge? Yeah, um, I mean, you're right. It is complicated and, and kind of managing a custom physical product as well as having a skin analysis, uh, a web app, dashboards, tracking, etc., I don't think we would have been able to build this unless we had had the whole system in mind from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, I will say some of the things that really helped us is both myself and our uh, VP of Ops come from a manufacturing and custom manufacturing background. So we thought about scale early on from the way we designed the entire system. We, we run our own fulfillment center. Um, we have a modular customization process and 
kind of fine tune our formulas with the data. So the data actually goes hand in hand with kind of giving us an advantage around um, scaling the, the formulations and forecasting what we're going to need to have at what time of year, what geographies, um, et cetera. And what, would you see much competition in the space? I know there's one company in the UK that we know about that are doing custom one-to-one. It's been talked about for years. So uh, yeah. it seems like the timing is perfect these days because you've got AI, you've got data, you've got the capability for small mass manufacturing, you know, uh, kind of perfect storm, if you will. But um, do you see this as a trend or is it going to be just a niche um, category for you know, so if, if one of the big guys was on the program, they'd say, well, that's just a small little segment. You know, we're doing mass market cosmetics and products and things. So where do you see it going? Yeah, I think, um, you know, possibly started as a trend, but obviously the, the value is really apparent, including to the larger companies, because it's not only personalization, but it's what do you learn about your customers through the personalization process, which is kind of our key value proposition about adapting with someone's needs. Like how is someone's skin changing over the course of the year? How does it change as they change their diet or change their birth control or something else? And so um, it's the data as well. And I think that there's a lot of personalized companies who are doing it um, via quiz. I think what's interesting about what we're doing um, is the skin analysis component and that added layer of physical data, like for pH, for example, oil, moisture levels, um, and tracking those trends over time. You know, how are women in LA different than women in New York? Um, how are women of, of different ages different and their skin is changing? And so I think that's the real power, especially for the future of the beauty industry. It's not even customization itself, it's the adaptability and it's applying the data to have better insights on what products you need to develop, how do those products meet different consumer needs, and also most importantly, like uncovering the unmet needs through the data because the larger companies are traditionally. Uh, formulating for a mass customer or a representative sample and so we're kind of flipping the model and not saying we're designing this and figuring out who it will work for we're using the data to tell us what we need to make right yeah it's flipping the model for sure no the I mean the mass guys so they have thousands of products and what you know we were talking about revive earlier you know it's a selfie skin care diagnostics um, you know where the AI is working in the background and this preferential data I think the combination of those two is is very helpful for selecting SKUs off a shelf because rather than look at the 50 of them you can look at 10 that actually are right for your skin type your environment all that stuff and then you actually take that to the next level you actually send an in-home kit what, what is that testing all about yeah, so um, the at-home skin test has oil, moisture, pH test. Uh, for the first 10 months of Atola, we also had a preference test because we also found preference was incredibly important. So we were sending people different textures ranging from water to oil um, and everything in between. And the reason we stopped doing that is actually we we have enough data to have a really strong predictive model on that. Um right. But the other ones, we're still testing and having people test each month. So the oil test, you do both your forehead and your cheek because those zones can all be different. And it's like a, it's like a swab thing. Yeah, it's a swab and it interacts with your skin in about 10 to 15 seconds and it changes color. And then you take a photo of it on our app and it will calibrate the percentage. Oh, great. Percent yeah. oil. So so unlike, some, unlike some other ones, yeah, you have to send them back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had Viome on the other day uh, and. Um, you know, it's amazing uh, technology that allows you to figure out the exact kind of foods you should be eating and supplements and things like that. So, um, 
So is, is that is 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 that the patentable stuff? What's what's patentable in your company? You mentioned that. Yeah, it's um, our patent is very interesting because, as you know, you can't patent an algorithm specifically, um, but our patent is applying our algorithms to the formulation process. So it's right. a method and systems patent. And so the first part is about what type of data we collect. And as we've talked about, it's a range of data ranging from like self-reported to physical and also, you know, very interested in um, visual data through right. self as well. How do we translate that data to a formulation and what is the process that that goes through to match someone to the right combination of ingredients? making that formula and then i think the most important part is actually the feedback loop because our whole company is built on a feedback loop model where each month we're analyzing the data on an individual basis and kind of fine-tuning and tweaking someone's formulation yeah the definition of ai gets smarter and smarter machine learning all that so that's that's fascinating um so it's a dtc direct-to-consumer model today what um what about channels and partnerships and other things that um kind of can fuel growth. What are you doing there? Yeah, so um, we are getting ready to launch Spa Channel, which is very interesting for us. It's kind of a great place for us to go offline because people are usually going in to get services when they have a skin issue, which is our target customer with a serum. And right. so uh, we're doing a partnership with Face House. They're kind of an accessible uh, spa chain that's both in uh, California, New York, Texas, and some other locations. And right. so we're piloting a data-driven facial where they're going to use our skin analysis tools and process um, as part of the the experience for someone coming in to get a facial and so they'll get a data-driven facial and then they'll walk out the door and a toll customer will we'll ship them a serum so they're getting both a personalized service and a personalized product so i'm really excited about how that pilot is going to go and thinking about opening this new channel for us via estheticians and spa right. and then the other thing we're working on is uh we collect data about the other products in people's routines. Right now, we use that data to make sure our serum fits into their existing routine without conflict. But we're also having them rate those products. So we can say, people with this type of skin and these similarities rate this five stars. And so similar to how you were talking about with the, the Ulta example, um, you can imagine having an Atola kiosk, you know, potentially an Ulta or Sephora, where someone's doing our skin test in person, and we help them in aisle choose which product, uh, eye cream, for example, which we don't make. So uh, we're kind of still developing um, that product recommendation tool, but hopefully we'll launch sometime in the next uh, six months, in addition to kind of expanding our own physical custom products, moisturizer and cleansers next. Yeah. What about, um, so it sounds like you're pretty heavily U.S. based right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What do you think about the uh, other massive markets around the world? Yeah, we, um, we've gotten a lot of inbound interest from um, Asian countries, especially. And so part of our patent strategy is uh, filing our patent in like China, Japan, Korea, as oh, well boy. as the Yeah, UK good luck with that. In EU. <laughs> We're going to try. So I... Um, Canada will definitely be next for us, and then I think um, it's likely going to be be Asia because I do think that they're very far ahead in terms of skin technology, and and I think um, our product could be a great fit for that market. Yeah, yeah, and quite frankly, there's so much business in the U.S. I mean, you've got if you don't nail that first, it's um it's always uh, always dicey. But um, so what uh, what other challenges have you you faced? A lot of entrepreneurs tune into this channel to kind of get. Um, 
little insights and advice, whether we're talking about big companies or small companies. But uh, what's been the biggest issue with you over the last uh, 24 months? Um, I would say there's two, two that come to mind. Um, one, which is very recent, is how we've had to adapt our manufacturing process because of COVID. So we had to move our fulfillment center out of New York City to upstate New York where I live. We had to move all of our equipment. We had to find new people to work there. And we had to make a very quick decision to do that before the city shut down. We saw it happen in San Francisco and then we were like, we, we need to move before our whole manufacturing process goes down because people can't get to our fulfillment center in New York City. Right. So um, that's been one that I think we've been really fortunate um, that there's so much great manufacturing space in, in upstate New York and it's very affordable also. So it's very um, empty, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of empty buildings. Yeah, Perfect exactly. Timing. Yeah, we've had to kind of get that, that up and running, um, but I'm you know, really glad to say that we were able to continue uninterrupted, essentially, our fulfillment process. Um, another thing that kind of happened to us early on, which was a huge lesson learned for us, was um, some issues we were having with our website. So as you can imagine, with a custom product, we can't use out of the box things like Shopify. We had to build our own custom store, admin portal, etc. There are so many paths that a customer could go through that will determine a different product. And so um, I will say that we did not have as much automated testing set up when we, we first launched. That problems with our website were actually someone couldn't check out with their custom formulation or what have you um, because of all the different user paths really kind of hindered us in our first couple months after launch. And we had to completely rebuild our website, pause marketing, and then start over again, which was great to rebuild the foundation. It was the right thing to do, but it kind of set us back from what our initial uh, goals were. So I can't uh, emphasize how important it is to test, um, especially with automated testing, swarm testing, et cetera. Um, and sometimes, even if it means you would have to delay your launch, it's, it's probably the right thing to do to avoid a situation like we got in where customers were trying to give us money and they couldn't. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's usually the hardest decisions like being just actually doing a pause and stopping most because your, your gut instinct is, well, let's just keep moving. We'll fix it as we go. And you've just upset and whole, you know, a whole group of people either way, whether you didn't ship or whether you were unavailable. And so it sounds like you made some good, some good, bold moves there, you know, shifting back to the industry. What, why, why is it? Why don't you think some of the larger brands, let's just pick the top five houses um, in beauty and cosmetics and even health and wellness, but let's just beauty and cosmetics. Why aren't they doing more of this? Um, some of them are trying. So Skinsay um, is yeah. Believer's version of, of what we're doing. I think that the biggest reason why they're not doing it to the scale that, that we're doing in the kind of like um, – custom formulation versus custom routine is because they're limited by their manufacturing and distribution systems. So most of those brands, you know, any of them ranging from Unilever to L'Oreal, they're manufacturing their different brands in their house at the same manufacturing facilities. And so it's really hard to change their entire process when it's set up and for scale and for them to make a hundred thousand uh, lotions of the same skew at a price that's really accessible and sell that. 
And so in addition to the manufacturing system, it's also the distribution system. So they don't have the direct relationships with the customer where they can do what we're doing, which is get data in exchange for giving someone a, a better product. They don't have that direct line because they're not direct to consumer. And so I think what I've heard from a lot of them is that they're looking at what some of the smaller brands are doing because it's a lot faster for the smaller brands to innovate. Um, and it seems like a lot of them are interested in eventually acquiring versus trying to build it out in-house and, and taking a lot longer and not having the dedicated resources and, and all of that. Yeah, we talk a lot about that um, on the program. I, I call it the build by borrow matrix and borrowing, partnering with companies is, is very popular right now, but most of the innovation that's out on the edge is acquired. You know, you're, you're, you're buying it. There's been a lot of activity in this sector. Obviously you guys are not naive, naive to that, but the whole, the whole building size, it's, it's, it's tough for them. It's, it's tough. I mean, they are set up for mass scale, but they've also have acquired a lot of small brands that do niche types of products, but they're still not, they're not one-to-one -one custom. There's uh, so you're definitely cracking, uh, you know, cracking the mold. What, um, what are your thoughts on beauty and retail and what's going on there? There was a massive pullback. So cosmetics was way down. Skincare was way up, according to the Review Beauty Index, you know, again, over three, four hundred percent in certain categories. Um, seems like there's some revenge buying going on in channel where, you know, people are stocking up on makeup. But we have seen a massive shift to skincare, sun care, health, um, wellness. What uh, what are you guys seeing? Yeah, seeing the same, I think um, retail is going to have to be reimagined because in the next several years, I don't see things like testing products in store as most people are used to buying uh, is, is really working. So going in, trying a sample of something on their hand, I don't think any retail is going to have samples anytime soon. But the idea of consumer preference is still so important. So how we're thinking about it is, you know, we were sending a preference test, but how do you connect people not only with the products that will work well for them, but also that they'll like. And that right. needs to be part of like the online experience. I think I've also seen um, sort of a reckoning with clean beauty and uh, toxic as a label, especially, you know, in the age of, of COVID, what does that really mean? Is it fear mongering? Are chemicals bad? Because, you know, as soon as, as COVID came around, everyone buying hand sanitizer and alcohol and, and everything else. And so I think that there's kind of a, a new evolution um, of clean beauty, which is more like clean chemicals, chemicals aren't bad, more education around what ingredients are doing, which I think is a really positive thing to focus on. In many, many categories, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not just the fear mongering of toxic is bad, chemical is bad, but like, I don't know, the, the famous phrase, the dose makes the poison. Um, right. So so I've seen a lot of that as well, and I think it, it comes hand in hand with some things that are that are happening in the world right now. Yeah, we just had the founders of, uh, or the founder and the CEO of, of, of uh, Credo on and a couple others. So, you know, small retail footprint, but only backing indie brands that are, are clean and, you know, they've got their dirty list and all types okay. of things. And I see that as a very, very proactive trend. But again, um, when you look at the big, you know, the big mass manufacturers, it's a tough shift. Mm -hmm. It's tough to get out of the. Uh, so I assume you guys aren't using anything bad in your your serums and your formulas, or no, the word bad. Maybe the word bad isn't the right one, but you know what I mean. I would say our our formulations are very safe. Uh, we do have a dermatologist co-founder who selects all of our ingredients. But the other thing to consider for us is that most of our customers have sensitivities and allergies. So yep. we kind of take it a step further. We don't add 
essential oils, fragrance, etc. because we know our consumer base is someone who has a hard time buying drugstore products because like myself, they have like allergies to a lot of those ingredients. So that's a important part of our process as well as formulating around allergies. Yeah, another trend we're seeing in retail, um, especially helping a lot of them get back up off the ground right now, is you know they've all invested a lot of money in hardware, whether it's mirror technology or tablets, whatever, and they're experiencing a bit of a hardware hangover because they they realize that the people just want to use their own phone. It's something they're more comfortable with touching. It's more personal, whether you're taking a selfie of your face or whatever, just checking out. So we're seeing use-your-own-device as a a mass trend there um, and the beauty sector has a lot to gain from it there's so much uh, data and information you're seeing companies like Walgreens finally start to bring their disparate data sets together so they can learn more about the customers so no matter what they're doing whether they're taking a selfie in the store or whether they're checking out or entering the point system you know they've all had these different silos and um, those companies are used to you know, monitoring SKUs, SKUs, right? And yours is a whole different approach. It's, it's. You, do you really have SKUs? I mean, you've got custom for Emily. You can. What you're going to send me is different from what you're going to send our producer one, right? Yeah, um, we don't have SKUs. We do do modular customization, so we can keep track of, of different modules and test those and combine them for different end combinations. Right. I do think that the what we do do a lot of is um, inventory forecasting around ingredients based on time of year, based on what we know about skin concerns and oil and moisture levels. And that overall helps us manage uh, raw ingredient inventory um, because we can predict, for example, that most people will want to use a heavier oil base in the winter time. And so we have less of, of water bait and things like that. So um, right. you know, we've done a lot of work around uh, scaling our, our ops and I'll give our VP of ops a lot of credit, but I do think we have the unique background to kind of be able to combine the data in the op side. Um, that's your, but that, that's more your internal looking. I just meant more from an external. You know, how does it play in retail? It's like, well, you know, usually it's like, hey, these are my ten products. I want yeah. to get them on shelf. The good news is you don't have to do that. You don't have yeah. to take up a lot of shelf space. Yeah, the an interesting counterpoint to that too is that because products need to live on a shelf, like a traditional, let's just say, moisturizer, it needs yeah. to have a shelf life of two plus years because it has and, to go yeah. somewhere. And in, in, in come the ingredients right there. Yeah, yeah, and they get diluted by the preservative, the heavy amount of pres preservatives. And so the other innovative thing about a direct-to-consumer monthly model is that you don't have to dilute the formulas as much because they don't need as long of a shelf life as two years um, sitting on a shelf. So we that's why we can actually deliver higher amounts of active ingredients to people. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, less additives. The um, So uh, we really, uh, by the way, we really enjoyed having you on today. The um, I was just trying to think of the the audience out there. You've given them a couple tips, but you know, you're like, you're, you know, one of the best indie brands we've uh, seen this year in terms of scale and growth and, you know, really attacking a market in a smart way and figuring out the ecosystem and, and launching and uh, not looking back. Um, COVID has not been as kind to others. So what kind of specific advice, which, you know, kind of drilling down into, there are hundreds of beauty indie brands trying to launch right now. There's uh, maybe not one-to-one -one custom uh, formulaic like you, but what, what advice would you give them to the ones that are going to be tuning in and uh, picking up some tips from you on this? Um, I have a couple of thoughts. One is really 
going out the gate, understanding what your brand positioning is and your white space in the market. For us, it's very much at the overlap of scientific and natural. Um, but I think it, it especially important in this age of, of kind of oversaturation in the market, figuring out what your values are, what your brand positioning is, and, and communicating that. The other thing I think our team has done really well that I would encourage other um, teams to do as well is continue to do data analysis, both qualitative and quantitative. We have ongoing conversations with our customers, our best customers, our worst customers. We gather a lot of feedback, both in terms of the raw data as well as through interviews. And it's through combining those two types of research that you're really able to understand what can you do that no one else can do? How do you double down on that? What's different about you? Um, what can you do better? Why are people churning or why? And so, um, but it's not only something that you do before you launch. It's something that you have to do all throughout. And that's something that our team does really well, I would say, that we always have a pulse on the, the customer needs and, and kind of adapt our process and um, our product accordingly. And the other thing I will say too is, um, I think what's really important in this day and age, especially with the move online, right. is being authentic. And I think for us, one way we've found to really communicate the authentic values of our brand is through user-generated content and using new platforms like TikTok. So instead of traditional branded ads, very polished, user-generated content explaining how our product works, what it did for them, and um, yeah, UGC is king right now as well. So I would encourage people to invest in, in looking at those platforms than you know, spending 10,000 plus dollars on a, a highly branded photo or video shoot. Yeah, exactly. Especially right now. The, um, yeah. It may change in a couple of years to something else. But the, um, the other question we get a lot is, should I do, by the way, this is for food companies, health, wellness, beauty. It's cross sectors. But should I try to get into channel? Gosh, help me. It's hard to do that. Or should I go direct to consumer? And I always throw the word and in there. Um, in your case, you're like, no, we're just going to go DTC. That's our model. It's subscription. Let's get started there. And then, you know, did the beachhead and move out from there. Can, can you do both at the same time when you're so early on or is that stretching it too much? For us, it'd be stretching it too much because it just adds more complication with, you know, our yeah. user experience of the digital custom. The, we already have so much going on on the product side that the yeah. channel side, we really just need to focus. Um, and so for us, we also are using D2C and Facebook and Instagram advertising to drive a lot of traffic to our website in a short period of time to test. So that was the other part of our strategy, too, is like, how do we learn as much as po like as quickly as possible about messaging? When you go through other channels, it is a bit harder to do that as quickly. Although I will say our first ever test was a, a pop up and we learned so much by just interacting with customers testing the user experience, being face-to-face, -face, um, that we basically thought, how do we scale this online? And now we're coming back to doing pop-ups and doing more in retail. But our first ever test was a very successful pop-up um, in New York City, in Soho. Yeah, yeah, the good old pop-ups. They'll never go yeah. away. It's yeah. always good, even in the digital world. Well, Megan, really appreciate having you on. You've been listening to Megan, <clears throat> excuse me, Megan Moppin from Atolo, a really cool startup that's customizing skin formulas and all types of skincare products. So check them out on the web. We'll put a link in the podcast. And it's good to see you. Take care. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome.